All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to the Standard Issue podcast. Yeah, that's right. Another one. This bonus episode, you lucky people, is brought to you by Carte Noir. I'm Mickey Noonan, and why, yes, I am supping on a delicious cup of coffee, courtesy of our sponsors. Cheers. I'm Hannah Dunleavy, and I am loving the coffee smell. I reckon coffee's probably top three, top three smell. It's a great smell, isn't it? It's up there. And I'm Jen Offord, and since I've been awake by 7am almost every day for the last 13 months, this caffeine hit frankly couldn't come soon enough. So today we are chatting about living life carte blanche, you know, grasping those little moments of complete freedom, like the French do. As ever, we'll be joined by some ace guests, some standard issue favourites in fact. I'll be speaking to Lucy Reynolds about coffee and why it's her brain saver. Hannah Dunleavy, how are you embracing being more French? Well, you can't see this on Zoom, but I'm actually naked from the waist down, which will be <laughs> which will be exciting for <laughs> Hazelwood Davis, who I'll be catching up with because she, like me, is absolutely dreadful at taking a break from work, and so I'm forcing a break on both of us. Good work. Well, Hannah, that's one way of living life to the full. But <laughs> I'll be having a fully clothed natter with author and mental health advocate Lucy Nicholl about self-care and why it's nice to get out and about after the year we've had. What does living life to the full actually mean, though? I think this is probably where I start wanging on about bikes again, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah. Go on then, Jen. Give us some bike chat. You do very rarely mention it. Uh, uh. 
<clears throat> okay, well, as you know, I don't like to talk about the time I rode across America on Beyonce, my bicycle, but I guess that would be my example of living my life carte blanche in that I sacked off a reasonably well-paid but ultimately unfulfilling job and used the money to fund a trip of a lifetime and a career change. And lucky for you, eh? Indeed. And I mean, cool. <laughs> yeah. Bit extreme. Also, yes. Uh, and that's fair enough. In my early 30s, I too packed a rucksack and headed off into the great wild yonder, the Bolivian jungle for me to look after some big cats because I am always on brand. The last year, though, with the pandemic and various lockdowns, has definitely made me sort of appreciate the smaller stuff a bit more, I think. I've always thought of myself as a very social beast, always heading to a party, the pub, the theatre, wherever, somewhere outside. And I am excited about being able to do those things again. Uh, and also tired after doing all those things again. But I'm also making sure I book in stay-at-home time because I am lucky enough to have a home that makes me happy. So I really like being in it. And it might, it might sound like an oxymoron, but I actually plan a plan-free night each week. It goes in my diary. Yeah, I don't do that. But I did also spend a lot of time on the road, as it were, in my 20s because why the hell not? And I think the interesting thing is we quite often see adventure as being far away from home when there's actually loads of really interesting stuff on our doorstep Mm -hmm. that we always think we will get to eventually, but we never do. I grew up half an hour from the amazing gardens at Stowe. Never went. I lived in Portsmouth (laughs) for two years and despite always meaning to visit the Mary Rose, I never did. (laughs) I'd been to Australia before I had been to Scotland. Uh So this year, opening hours permitting, every time I see somewhere British and beautiful on the telly or I read about a fascinating place, rather than say I should go there, I'm going to actually just go there. Yeah, I'm from Wigan, so I would recommend Wigan Pier because we did go a lot. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's interesting because when I did do the bike thing, I did think I've seen more of America than I have of Britain now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, that's an excellent plan, Hannah. Mick, what you said about expectation brings me back to a point the boss, that Sarah Millican for the uninitiated, often makes about saying no more and the power in that. I suppose that's something we get a bit better at with age and experience, right? No. Sorry, no. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. As women, and I mean, surely I should have this on a T-shirt by now, we are conditioned to be people pleasers, which often means we say yes to stuff we don't actually really want to do. And I do think the more you realise that is social conditioning and it means that someone else is setting the benchmark for what you should be doing, the more you're able to put your own needs first and set your own benchmark for what living your best life actually means to you. Hashtag being authentic, innit? I think all of that is going to cost quite a lot of money to put on a T-shirt, Mickey. <laughs> I want it in Comic Sans. Don't, don't upset me. Don't, don't dis- disappoint me. See your next birthday sorted. I definitely feel way more confident saying no to things now. Also, the baby has given me, like, I don't know, a 17-year excuse for not doing things I don't want to do, right? Yeah, apart from going to see the school play she's going to be in. Yeah, well, clearly I've not thought this through. (laughs) Hannah, of the three of us, I reckon you are probably the most French, not just because you've remained adamantly trouserless, but also because you're very good (laughs) at giving the finger to the man. And by that, I don't mean you don't care. I mean, you're less afraid of what people think. How, how, how do you do that, please? Tell us your secrets. I like the idea of me being uh, more French. Is it because of my love-hate relationship with Emmanuel Macron? <laughs> yeah, I don't think we can talk about that for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there is a secret. You just have to stop caring 
Um, I mean, it is a decision because the important thing to remember is that people often don't notice or have any strong opinion about what it is that you're doing. Yeah, yeah that's true. What's happening is that you're judging yourself yeah. for being lazy or spendthrift or too fat for that dress. And once you realise that all you need to do is square your decisions with yourself, you're good to go. Way of example, if I told you that I was planning on sacking off all of the housework that I really need to do and instead I was going to lay in the park all afternoon with my milk bottle legs out reading my favourite book, what would you say? I'd say, are you allowing guests? Because that sounds cracking. Well, there you have it. All of that said, there's definitely room for improvement in terms of my work-life balance. I'm impressed you got the word life in there. I thought you were going to say my work-work balance. (laughs) (laughs) So I caught up with journalist, friend of the podcast and bona fide workaholic Hazel Davis to chat about how and when to step away from the keyboard. Hi, I am joined by Hazel Davis. Hazel, I was asked to pick someone to take a coffee break with and I picked you. Do you want to guess why? Because I'm obsessed with coffee. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well, obviously, because I'd like to talk to you. It's because both you and I are really, really appallingly bad at taking a break from work. Tell me, Hazel, how often do you actually take a break during the day? Yeah, it's quite interesting. I'm famous for not taking a break. That said, I've got a day off today and I'm singing all day. So I am technically taking a break, although I am working on some songs. However, when I work, I work for myself completely, as you know, and I work frequently work till half past midnight and then get up at half past six in the morning and carry on the work and then drop my children off at a club and then work in the car because I just have so much work to do and I don't like to switch off and if I have a downtime like 10 minutes then I quickly do something else that I need to do so yeah I'm notoriously very bad at actually resting. So what you need to do is in that 10 minutes get on a zoom with me and have a conversation so I can be forced to take a break (laughs) as well. I've got friends who, um, well, actually, I do some poetry workshops, actually, with some freelance colleagues. And that's an hour, every one hour every month where we just sit and do poetry. A poet kind of facilitates. And actually, that is the most rest I ever get because we don't do anything else but write poetry and think about poetry. And it's actually, that's probably the most restful my life is, actually. <laughs> that sounds great. Although you did also just mention that you were singing, which sounds dangerously like a hobby and something is- that's not work, Hazel. <laughs> it's dangerously like a hobby and it's really exciting and I love it although we do have a gig tomorrow and potentially a wedding in September so it's now become um a bit work. more like <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the more we do it the more work we do at it and the more stressful it becomes so <laughs> but it's brilliant. I know that you've been in a choir before mm-hmm. now but how does the idea of performing publicly feel? Does that feel like you are living your best life? <laughs> it's really interesting. There's a long backstory, actually. I've always really loved music and playing and singing, but I've always violently hated performing. I could sing all day, every day, play all day, every day. And that's the best thing in my life. But for anyone else to hear me, that's the last thing I want. It's, I've always really hated it. Even when I was in choirs, I loved the rehearsal process, hated the performing process, always felt sick, always sang my worst actually in the concert. So I'm hopefully my friend isn't listening to me saying that, but then we, um, but the, but actually in the last, during lockdown in the last few weeks, the more I've practiced and the more I've focused myself and the more prepared I am, then the better performing live is. So we did a, a brief gig last week, a couple of weeks ago, and that was great actually. And I felt confident. So The answer to that, as any real musician will tell you, is just to practice and then you won't be scared. (laughs) Taking a year to realise that. (laughs) No, I'm terrible at singing. I am genuinely terrible at it. 
I've never heard you sing, actually. That would be precisely why, Hazel. Precisely why. <laughs> Let's go back to not taking a break. What yeah. is it? The process in your head that's happening when you just keep working. What is it? What's What's your brain telling you? If I don't say yes to this, they're never going to employ me again. Or that exactly that exactly that. This happened to me last night. An editor got in touch with me and said, "Can you do a job for me for next week?" And I'd spent the day going, "I'm so busy. I can't do any work. I can't take any more work on. I need a break. I'm really tired. I haven't had any sleep. I've got no time for anything." And she got in touch and said, "Can you do this job for early next week?" And I thought the intelligent part of me said, "Well, absolutely not, because I've got too much work on." I replied and said, "I'm really stacked next week. What is the work?" And then she came back and said, "It's just a 1,200 word piece." And I went, "Well, how much information is there?" because I'm really busy and she just went great how much and I gave her a fee and she went excellent and, and I so I've said yes and I'm doing it and I haven't got time for it because the fear is that if she if I say no then she'll get somebody else and then I'll never work for that client again and it's not true we all know it's not true they come back don't they but as yeah. a freelancer self or as a self-employed person there is that constant fear that you'll never work again yeah I mean I understand that and I realize that I have kind of in having a coffee break with you and now talking to you I'm I'm actually pretending that I'm making you take a break, but I am also making you work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the irony. Yeah, with me, partly it's it's that, although obviously I now have a full-time job, but partly it's my dad had a thing about work, the only way I can equate it was that it was almost like religious, his feeling about work. There was some sort of like work was everything. Oh, really? Work was oh. what would save you. Oh. I mean, he wasn't a religious man, but his belief that, anything could be overcome and achieved simply through hard work I think it kind of embeds itself in you a bit so for me I beat myself up in the sense of well I allowed myself a weekend off so like it's no wonder I have run out of money this month you know the two (laughs) are really equated in my head but also I am a bit of a perfectionist not a hundred percent but I am I can be about certain things and so ending stuff is quite hard for me Oh, that's interesting. I'm the opposite. My parents were both the opposite of that. My dad worked to live like he went in at nine, he finished at five and he played golf and he could not give two hoots about work. Like he could not care less about it. He didn't care what he did for a living. His job was irrelevant to him. My mum is is a phenomenally lazy person. So the pair of them couldn't like their work ethic was shocking. Like they didn't do a bad job, but their work ethic was kind of shocking. And so I've I've got that at the back of my head the whole time. I have to not be like that. I have to not be like that. And I've kind of gone the other way. And if I sit down, I think, oh my God, I'm being lazy. I'm being lazy. Yet my friends would tell me that I'm the least lazy person they've ever met but I consider myself lazy so that if I have a rest I think oh no I'm being lazy so I've kind of gone the other way completely really yeah that is interesting with me it's the permission to just allow yourself the time to have 10 minutes to uh, just yeah. stare out of the window and just yeah. think about absolutely nothing it's quite it's quite liberating you don't do that either do I you don't do, no because even if I've got a break even if I'm on holiday as my family will say I can't sit like I can't I don't know, even read, I love reading, but even that has to be sort of structured some, somehow. It's like, right, I'm going to read this book and, it, you know, I can't. I don't stare out of the window well. And my other half does. He loves it. He could just sit for three hours and he'd be really happy. And so could my youngest daughter. But like me and the other child are just like, no, I've got to be doing something. <laughs> Do you get up and I have two really strong espressos first thing. Otherwise, I can't function. I absolutely can't function for the rest of the day. So that is that is sacrosanct, actually. And I sit down at the table, usually before anybody else is up in the house. And I read all my emails and I sometimes read a bit of my book. Um, so that is my break. But it's first thing before the whole day starts. Mm. 
I feel like I've done a public good here, Hazel. <laughs> I'm having a coffee now. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That's really interesting. And as well as making sure we get those breaks, I guess we need to spend them wisely. So I chatted to Lucy Nickel about self-care and how to do just that. I'm joined on the Zoom by writer and mental health stigma buster and standard issue favourite, Lucy Nicholl. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm double jabbed now, so... That is excellent news, and and now you'll be able to do even more things than go and meet people for coffee. So, after the year we've had, it seems to me that we are all in need of a bit of self-care at the moment, but it also seems to me that self-care can mean like a really, really broad range of things, from like painting your nails to, you know, going to see a counsellor. So I wondered, from the uh, mental health advocacy perspective, what what do you understand as the meaning of self-care? I think there's something about the expectations that we put upon ourselves that we place upon ourselves it's really important in self-care because otherwise you end up in this thing where you're thinking oh my god should I be painting my nails should I be having a bubble bath should I be going for a walk in the in the woods should I be you know doing all of these things and I'm not doing them and I feel really crap now because I'm not doing anything and so I think there is something interesting in actually just managing our expectations of what we should be doing um, and doing what is right for us. Um, you know, I've been lucky to work with lots of brilliant mental health organisations and coaches. And, and one bit of advice I remember getting from Ruth Cooper Dixon, who's a great coach, and she said to me, if you need to just stop at any point in a day and just take time out, why is that a bad thing? That's not you doing nothing. That is you doing something for your well-being. So actually thinking about what is it you need rather than what you think you should do. And I'll be completely honest, I'm probably not the best person when it comes to self-care. I know what I need, and I'm sometimes bad at practicing that. Mm -hmm. But I think self-care is about striking a balance. So it's about giving your body and your mind what you need and not following a sort of prescriptive idea of what self-care is. I never paint my nails. I never really get bubble baths either. (laughs) To me, getting out, walking in the fresh air, doing a bit of gardening and cuddling a cat and watching a bit of comedy is kind of, that's good for me. And switching off when I need to. Cuddling a cat, I mean, you can't go wrong there, can you? But it's interesting what you say about finding what's right for you. We chatted a bit earlier in this podcast about how saying no to stuff can be as powerful as saying yes to stuff sometimes and, and like knowing what, what the balance is. And, and But I mean, that leads me on nicely to the next question and the fact that you've been double jabbed, Lucy, which is relevant to this because we have been shut indoors forever and with restrictions largely lifted, certainly for the time being, we can start seeing people again. So why do we need other people in our lives to feel better about ourselves? How important is that to us? I think there's a few things, you know, those personality tests that you do, those like Myers-Briggs, and I've always been high on the extrovert scale and low on the introvert scale. And I think as I've got older, that balance has tipped a little bit and from what I understand of those it's it's not about being outgoing or whether you're shy or quiet or it, it 
doesn't mean any of that it's about what your preferences are in terms of sort of recharging your energy you know sometimes to recharge I do need to take time out and put my feet up and watch line of duty and you know just sit with my cats and be on my own and that's great and you know makes me feel good but there's just something about the the energy that you get off other people so it's being able to to be really engaging and take your take your focus solely off what's going on in your head. I think I think just being able to connect with other people, but also with other places. We've missed people, but we've also missed traveling around. Mm. You know, we've been stuck in our homes for so long. I think it's that refreshing kind of you know change of tone, change of conversation, change of environment, change of ideas, and that exchange and it energizes you to to bounce off somebody else so obviously a lot of the work that you do is around mental health and and you have a book a series of unfortunate stereotypes one of the things that you talk about that you know about is anxiety and I wondered if we are feeling a little bit anxious about getting back out into the world again what's a good way to think about easing ourselves back into socializing with other people I think there's something that goes back to expectations again because so you might feel like oh a little bit daunted that you know you've not seen anyone for ages you've not been in a cafe since lockdown or whatever and 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 that's all new to you and what will it be like and you know I think there's that whole idea of oh god what are the what do I need to remember when do I need what are the rules like all all this information in your head and actually when I went to I I actually went to London a couple of weeks ago with my best friend and my sister and I went to the train station and (laughs) walked in really confidently and then got on got to the platform and thought I don't I don't know what any of this means anymore like I hadn't been on a train for so long mm. all of a sudden I felt completely ah wh- where the hell do I get the the coach that I need to be on and where would it tell me and what like and I just kept doubting myself and I think that was just through lack of practice <laughs> really but I just found that if you're going to meet people on your terms, which is what you should be doing, then it's really easy just to kind of get back into it, especially when you're spending time with good good friends or family, you know, people that you're totally relaxed with. I think the problem is, is if we feel like now all of these restrictions have been lifted, that all of a sudden we need to go out and be the life and soul of the party and we need to do things now and quickly and you know make the most of it because we've been locked in for so long and actually I don't think we need to I think we need to just do what's right for us so I think you know maybe not not organizing a big itinerary with a a, a pub crawl and a night out clubbing just because restrictions have lifted when actually you're far more comfortable going to a garden center and having a coffee with your mate (laughs) It's kind of all about knowing yourself, isn't it? And knowing what's what's right for you and, and trusting your instincts a little bit, perhaps. Yeah, I think so. Because I just, you know, there will be some people who naturally cannot wait to get back into, like, packed out city centres and, you know, people that thrive off that. And that's great and that's fine. But if we remember, like, what we were doing before lockdown, we were... I imagine a lot of us were quite relieved for some time, actually, that we didn't have to turn down invitations to go out and feel guilty about it. And I think we've all been a bit more honest about that, that actually sometimes we only want to go out when we feel like it at that moment. So planning it can actually cause quite a bit of dread for some people as they build up to the the day and the time when you're, oh, God... 
by Christmas, I'm sure there'll be sparkly tops and God knows what. (laughs) So I mentioned your book earlier. You've got a few books. Where can we find out more about you and and what you're up to for listeners who may wish to do that? So I've got a website, which is lucynickel.com. And my current book is a fictional book and has been my escape into another social world because I've been writing the sequel to it while I've been in, in lockdown. So that book is the called The 27 Club, and it's a little escape into 1990s music fandom, if anybody fancies a read. All right, Lucy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. You've both gone pretty deep there, so, you know, let me do something about that. Here's me having a natter with Lucy Reynolds, a teacher who knows the importance of grabbing even the smallest breather for yourself and is the biggest coffee lover I know. Lucy, I'm going to start with an easy question. We're chatting at 20 past three. How many cups of coffee have you had already today? Three cups of coffee. I like to pace myself throughout the day. And I do like a a mixture of full calf and then decaf. But I think I've been very good. I can average maybe about five or six when I'm working. Today's a day off. So (laughs) three is pretty good for me. Yeah. Obviously, your working days are pretty hectic because you work in a big school. So I would like to know... What is your favourite coffee ritual of the working day? Coffee whenever I can grab it. Because I'm teaching it at a sixth form, we've got a bit more kind of independence. So if I've got a class kind of working on something and I'm absolutely jonesing for a coffee, (laughs) I'll be like, right, okay, independent work, everybody. I sneak downstairs, quickly make myself a coffee, bring it back up. I might be carrying, I don't know, pieces of paper, an empty folder to make it look like I've done some work. (laughs) Probably my favourite or the most useful cup of coffee that I have is around about probably two o'clock. So my two o'clock cup of coffee is the thing that I need to be able to get to the end of the day without losing my mind. I've had lunch, but I'm a bit sluggish, so I kind of need that pep. It's like a drinkable nap. Oh, completely. It's like a little warm cuddle going, come on, (laughs) keep on going. The end is in sight. Don't headbutt a wall. And do you have a go-to accompanying snack that you're like, this is the dream when this happens? Yes, please. Do you know what? I don't have them very often, but I chuffing love a digestive biscuit. Not really chocolatey, because I don't like to mess up my coffee. So a plain biscuit, anything that's good for dunking, and just chowing down on those bad boys. (laughs) The reason why I don't buy them is I would probably tan a packet in a go. Right. I think teachers, we are the worst for this. At the end of term, we were given so many sweets and chocolates and packets of biscuits and everybody goes into an overdrive. But a biscuit, a good dunker. I'm interested. I want to know what your dunking technique is. I mean, I know you. You are a woman who likes to live life on the edge. Absolutely. I'm not a a one dunk chump. I am. (laughs) (laughs) Depending on the type of biscuit. I dunk at least two times. I bring it up. I check the architecture of the biscuit. I don't know. How do you put it? I check. I check what its form. And if it looks like it could go for a third, we're going in. If it falls in, I'll swear very loudly, but it doesn't matter. Because when you get to the bottom of the coffee, yeah, it's a bit gross. But still, it's like a little biscuity soup. Nothing wrong with that. So what about weekend caffeinated treats? So a massive lion, first of all. My coffee at work is it's quite fast. I gulp it very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I make it quite milky so you can drink it really, really Chug quick. It. It's like a shot. I do <laughs> shots of coffee during the day. Whereas you can kind of take your time at the weekend. And I'm sure that other people must do this. 
when I've got a new jar of coffee, I open it up and I see that gold top. You've got to pierce it. Oh my God. It must be the equivalent of if you're really, really rich and you pop a bottle of champagne. To me, <laughs> piercing that golden lid and then you've got to sniff it. You've got to smell it. And then you kind of peel the bits back. As you've said, I live on the edge. I live a very, very <laughs> exciting life. I am absolutely in agreement here. There is nothing I like better about you know a weekend coffee than a sit and a stare. Just hold my coffee, sit and stare. Oh. What up? Don't care. Just oh want to have a little God. sit and a stare. So good. And you've been to where I live. You've been to my flat. I've got a lovely chair that I turn around to overlook all of the other apartments. And it also looks over the canal and leads. I'm such a voyeur. I love to have a good old stare at people. Mm-hmm. Watch them. Not necessarily in their flats, although I do if they leave the lights on at night. That's their fault, not mine. <laughs> I'm going to end this on a terrifying question, Lucy. I would like to know okay. how you would feel if you woke up tomorrow to find there was no coffee left in the world. I mean, first of all, how can you even think of such a monstrous thing I'm a monster. to happen? That is awful. You know how people talk about feeling hangry? Yeah. I definitely have that for coffee. If I haven't had a coffee in the morning, even when I've been on holiday, when I was in the Himalayas, as you well know, my trek, if I hadn't had a coffee in the morning, I don't actually think that I would be able to do anything. I'd be so irritable. Even though coffee gets energised and stuff, it kind of calms me down, I think, in the morning. It helps me feel a little bit more together yeah I think if I didn't have coffee I don't actually know how I would be able to get out of bed because there'd be nothing to get out of bed for wow that is big chat wow. there. but I think it's that that, that whole calming thing because obviously coffee's caffeinated and that kicks your adrenaline up but yeah. I think it's more how we have our coffee and that sense of okay taking a little bit of a moment for myself even if it is just to chug it down in between lessons yeah it's a little ritual mm. I think it's like a little ritual five or ten minutes that you can just have for yourself yeah it's just like a lovely warm little kind of blanket and to not that have that in the morning I would be a very different person do you I'd think be we'd be friends teacher. would we not be friends oh definitely <laughs> not definitely not you'd have met me and just thought who is this maniac but you actually met a very calm fully caffeinated Lucy it's a very calm lovely Lucy seconded absolutely seconded yeah oh mate I can't wait to have a coffee and we can just watch your neighbours that sounds like a treat not even talk to each other let's just stare at people drinking <laughs> coffee yes please that's the dream so what revelation time what have we learned about ourselves today well i've learned it's actually quite cold to podcast <laughs> in the french style oh but i've enjoyed it <laughs> <laughs> haven't we all I'm going to try and take some time to look after myself as well as the child and make better use of my baby free time. And after my chat with Lucy, I'm mostly thirsty for another coffee, to be honest. But, you know, I've learned that it's fine to make that date with yourself and say no to other demands for 10 minutes while you refresh both mouth and mojo. Also, I've now got an excellent stash of carte noir in my cupboard, so I plan to drink myself bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. And in good news for listeners, you too can get your hands on a free sample of Carte Noir Classique instant coffee. It's ridiculously easy to do, and I say that as a technical moron. All you have to do is ask your voice assistant, like Alexa or Google Assistant. Yep, just say now to Alexa or Google Assistant, ask, send me a sample for Carte Noir coffee. It really is that simple. 
Put the kettle on, mate. Standard issue for all women.